Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating the age of the earth and we are starting right now. With Maddie's opening statement, Maddie, thanks so much for being here. The floor is all yours. So hi, everybody. I'm Maddie. You can find me here on YouTube at uh, Science Side Up. It's a science communication channel. We talk about all kinds of stuff, and it's lots of fun. Um, and I also want to thank um, Kent. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. I appreciate your time. Um, and I am certainly looking forward to a conversation. Um, I think that you know it's a very important thing to do to have open and honest conversations about differing viewpoints and things like that. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, I am currently a PhD student in meteorology at the University of Oklahoma. I have my master's degree from there, um, and my bachelor's degree is from MIT in math and earth, atmospheric, and planetary sciences. And I have a bit of, did a little bit of a detour um, between undergrad and grad school. I was in the Navy. I, I taught nuclear physics for a few years. So I have a pretty broad background in the physical sciences. Um, and so that's what I'd really like to focus on this evening is um, physical sciences and things um, specifically that point to the age of the earth or sort of how we know these different things. Um, and uh, for the rest of my opening statement, I want to focus on uh, some of that stuff uh, that I, I, I did back in undergrad, which has to do with more planetary science. Um, so I'd like to really just focus on one, one thing that um, I, uh, I cannot see a way to reconcile like things that we can observe with a young age of the earth. Um, so if, if you or I were to go outside on a nice clear night and look up at the moon with the naked eye or with the telescope, we would see that earth's moon is, its surface is very rough. It is heavily cratered. And we know how these types of craters form. That's a process we've observed happen, even though they're not super common nowadays. Um, so an asteroid or some other impactor comes in, it strikes the surface of the moon. Um, that impact event is so energetic that it vaporizes the asteroid and partially melts the surface. And then when that dust settles, you have this telltale impact crater. Um, and something you might also note if you went out in your backyard today, uh, that there's not a whole lot of craters here on planet Earth. I can think of five to 10 um, that still exist. But if you look at the moon, it has over a million that are at least a half kilometer in diameter. And if you um, will look to even smaller sizes, you get to like half a billion. So um, let's stick with that like million uh, range number. So there's about a million craters on the moon and on Mercury and on Mars and on asteroids and on most rocky bodies here in the solar system. Uh, but for one reason or another, not Earth. Um, so why might that be? Well, Earth has an amazing ability to make new rock. We recycle our crust. Um, if you were very patient and had a submarine, you could see this process happen yourself. You could go down to the middle of the Pacific Ocean and see where you have two oceanic plates that are moving away from each other at a rate of about an inch a year. And then uh, so uh, molten lava comes up, solidifies, and makes new rock. 
you were to go to the other edges of those two plates, one at Japan and one at California, you could see those subducting under the continental plates, destroying older rock as it goes. So that's the plate tectonics is one of the mechanisms that Earth recycles its crust and makes new rock. Um, so presumably, if in the past the Earth was heavily cratered, like the surface of Mercury or the moon, things that don't have plate tectonics, um, then the Earth could have uh, erased that history, right? Um, now, based off of current rates, um, the ocean floor spreading, uh, that rate, if you kind of look globally, you can extrapolate that out, and the Earth recycles its whole crust once every 200 million years um, based on the current uh, expansion rate. Um, so that's sort of the understood process by which you would sort of reset the Earth's crust. So what's, what's the problem and why can I not see um, a young Earth possible because of these facts? Um, cool, so if you're gonna destroy crust, that means you're gonna actually melt it. It takes about a million kilojoules of power to melt one kilogram of rock. And Earth has about Oh, what is the mass of the Earth? Oh, the mass of the Earth's crust is about 10 to the 23rd kilograms. So that would take, um, oh, 10 to the 29th joules, which is 10 to the 13th megatons of TNT. So 10 trillion megatons of TNT. Um, that's not a problem if this is happening slowly, right? Just a little bit a year, but otherwise you have to come up with a way to one, generate that much heat in a very short period of time um, something like maybe a year, right? And then two, what you would then be left with is the whole crust of the earth being molten, right? And, and natural processes to remove the heat and allow that crust to solidify, that would take about a um, hundred million years. Um, so the other option could be, well, maybe the earth wasn't heavily cratered. Um, I can't Think of a way that would happen. So if you think of the Earth and the Moon next to each other and random space rocks are just pelting through space, um, uh, why would it hit the Moon? Why would a million hit the Moon and 10 hit the Earth? There's no good reason for that. Um, and again, every rocky body in our solar system is heavily cratered. Um, so the Earth really should be two. Um, so one, you also, if you have to have all of those cratering events happen in a short period of time, one impact crater is the equivalent of about a hundred nuclear weapons. So that's a, that's a great way to destroy all life on earth a lot. Um, and so if you, if you have to get all of those impact events and then the melting and the crust solidification happening, there's, there's no natural process that can allow those things to happen and have life on earth and frankly, even the earth not be molten. Um, so that was sort of uh, the, the, the kind of just one thing I wanted to draw attention to. Um, hopefully that made sense. Um, and I think that's all I really had for my opening statement. So thank you. Thank you very much, Maddie. And want to let you know, folks, we are thrilled for many more epic, juicy debates coming up in the future at Modern Day Debate. And so if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button as we have many more to come that we are very excited about, including, folks, want to let you know about this one. The Book of Daniel, Prophecy or Forgery, is coming up next week. You don't want to miss that one live. It's going to be a fun one. So again, hit that subscribe button and that notification button as well. With that, we're going to kick it over to Kent for his opening statement. Thanks for being with us tonight, Kent. The floor is all yours. 
Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be with you again. And Maddie, good to meet you. I'd like you to come down and visit Dinosaur Adventureland, take a tour of the place here. We're in Lenox, Alabama. Um, I taught high school science 15 years and uh, love to defend the fact that I believe the Bible is literally true and scientifically accurate in every detail. If you add up the dates in the Bible, it clearly comes to about 6,000 for the age of the earth and the universe and everything else, all everything. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments that God made everything in six days. So if a person takes the position that the earth is billions of years old, which Maddie does and many others do, they have to understand that you're, you're, you're clearly calling Jesus a liar. He said the creation of Adam was the beginning. Now you're welcome to do that, but just be aware that that is what you're doing. Um, I have done many debates on this topic. I think the, the Bible is clear and can stand up without any help against all criticism. Uh, you're welcome to come down. Let's see, science side up. I love science, Maddie, and I'm glad you do too. You keep studying it pretty soon. You'll be a young earth creationist like me. Uh, first place, young earth. I mean, 6,000 is not young. That's a long time. It's hard to think about, you know, 150 years ago when Abe Lincoln was president. That's a long time, 150 years. And 6,000, you know, that's a really long time. So they, they, I think they give it a misnamer calling it young earth creation. By the way, Maddie, I appreciate the, the you, re, you read my, the, what I wrote, uh, helped Jack Chick write the Chick Track on your website. You did that, uh, what, a couple of weeks ago, uh, where you and somebody else, Dr. Josh, went through my uh, uh, track on uh, Big Daddy, uh, six basic types of evolution. I think you probably did more, more harm to the evolution cause by reading that out loud to your audience than, than you realize <laughs> People are going to contact us and say, wow, that was great. Anyway, uh, oh, let's see. No, 194. Hang on. Alt DV, Alt DV, 194. Enter. The textbooks in school uh, teach uh, that the Earth is 13.8 billion years old. Now, this has been changed many times. I'm sitting beside my textbook collection. I taught Earth science for 15 years. They used to teach 20 billion. They've had all kinds of different numbers. They've, they've gone all over the scale and how old is the Earth. Uh, for, the fact of the matter is science deals with things we can observe, study, test, and demonstrate. I think we could observe there's human history back a few thousand years, and that's all man's been observing. Anything else is going to involve a lot of guesswork. 13.8 uh, billion years ago, and they're welcome to believe all that if they'd like. But then they say uh, the earth is estimated to be 4.54 billion years old, plus or minus about 50 million years. How old is the earth? Scientists determine its age at 4.54 billion with an error range of 50 million. Now, let me explain. If you found a sunken ship with a treasure chest full of gold coins, and I asked you the simple question, when did the boat sink? Well, we can look at the dates on the coins, and we can find the coins have different dates on them. But actually, the youngest coin would be the limiting factor. If there's one coin in there from 1750 and another coin from 1695, I can't say the boat sank in 1695 because I've got one in there that says 1750. So I would look at all the dates on the coins. The oldest coins won't matter. The young, it only takes one young coin in there to change to the time when the ship sank. I mean, that's common sense 101. So if you look at a dinosaur bone, you should notice right away, it doesn't talk and it doesn't have a date stamped on it. So how do we tell the age of the earth? How do we tell the age of the bones? There's all kinds of different um, ways to measure this and uh, scientific evidence to look at. Uh, if I told you these big ballpoint pens were 5,000 years old, how could you refute my claim? You could say, now, Mr. Hovind, how do you, hold it just a minute. You're claiming these pens are 5,000 years old. Ballpoint pen history. Who invented the ballpoint pen? Well, the ballpoint pen was invented 132 years ago in 1888. 
Uh, well, just that one fact refuted my claim that the pens are 5,000 years old. Now they have to be less than 132 years old. Fair enough, that's the way science works, okay? Patented in 1888. So we just said, oh, sorry, that's wrong. Had to be 1888 or after when the pens are made. Then you find out a key breakthrough came in 1709 when a Belgian-American chemist invented Bakelite, the first real synthetic mass-produced plastic. Oh, now we're up to 1907 and my pens are made of plastic. So you could say, Hoven, hold it. Your, your data 5,000 is wrong. Actually, we know that they had to be made after 1907. Fair enough. That's, that's the way science works. You prove my claim of 5,000 is wrong, okay? Then you look at Bic Corporation that has Bic stamped all over the pen. You said, oh, wait a minute. Bic Company was founded in 1945. Wow, now you've proven my, pen, my claim is really wrong. They, they weren't made in 5,000 years ago. They're made after 1945. So that's the way science works. If I could find one evidence that the earth is not billions of years old, nothing else would matter. And I think the audience needs to clearly understand finding some way to make the earth billions of years old is absolutely essential to the evolution theory. If I could demonstrate the earth is not billions of years old, then nothing else matters in the evolution theory because there isn't time for anything to change. They think that a rock will slowly change into something alive, which is what evolution teaches. It rained on the earth, hard, hard rocky crust on the earth. The earth was, earth was a hot molten mass. It cooled down, developed a rocky crust, and it rained on the rocks for millions of years and turned them into soup, and the soup came alive. This is a basic summary, accurate summary of what they teach. Of course, it took billions of years. And then that first life form found somebody to marry. Now, there's a good trick. And something to eat and slowly evolved and changed into everything we see today. And everything about the evolution theory is hidden with the billions of years. Time is their pacifier. 4.543 billion years old, wow, okay. So the biblical answer is one way to look at this and the scientific answer is another way and I'm willing to look at it either way, okay? The Bible clearly says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and in John 1, it says, the word was with God, all things were made by him. And we see in John 14 that the word was made flesh. That's Jesus Christ. So Jesus said he made everything. By him were all things created. See, Jesus is God Almighty in the flesh. Come down to visit his planet here. And Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, talking about Adam and Eve. So this is clearly taught by Jesus Christ that the creation of Adam was the beginning. Bible says uh, he's the one who did it, so he should know. And the Bible says death came into the world because of man's sin. In the Christian worldview, God made a perfect world. Man wrecked it. In the evolution worldview, Maddie, that you hold to, death created man. Got about 30 seconds. Billions and billions and billions of creatures had to die because they weren't quite well formed enough to reach up to the high standard. So did man, make, did man bring death into the world or did death bring man into the world? Somebody is clearly wrong. Jesus said the creation was when, we, uh, when God made Adam and Eve and nothing died till Adam sinned and the Bible says it was in six days. So that's the position I hold too and I'll, I'll take that against all comers. So Maddie, go ahead. All right, thank you very much. Kent, for that opening statement, want to let you know, folks, our guests are linked in the description. So if you'd like to hear more of our guests, we have linked them in that description below. Next up, we have roughly 50 minutes of open dialogue, and then we'll have Q&A at the end. And so thanks very much to our guests. Also, want to let you know, folks, if you're listening via podcast, because we are on podcast, 
Our guests are linked in the description there as well. And so if you want to hear more from them, you certainly can. The floor is all yours, Maddie and Kent. If you, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about that analogy you used with the the ship and the, the chest of coins. Sure. Okay. So um, the problem, I have a little issue with that analogy because to me it feels like we're, the question that's analogous to like how old is the earth isn't like when did the ship sink, but rather maybe a better question would be like when was the first coin minted, Right. Well, no, but the coins are on the ship, and I think it'd be obvious nobody goes down and puts coins in a sunken ship. They go down and take them out of sunken ships. So I think the analogy is fair uh, that uh, if the, the, ship, the ship had to sink after the last coin was minted, and so if it was last coin's minted in 1750, well, the ship sank after 1750. So I don't understand. Nobody's ever had a problem with that analogy before. Explain why you think that's not, not a reasonable analogy. Okay, um, because if we're thinking about um, let's see, if we're thinking about, um, let's say, uh, uh, okay, I'm out here in Oklahoma and I go out to an old farmhouse, right? And I don't know when that farmhouse was built. And um, uh, I want to know, um, oh shoot, no, that's gonna break down, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so it's, um, if, I, if, I, if I go outside and I find, um, I don't know, a Tamagotchi from the 90s and a Life magazine from 1972 and like, uh, you know, a, I don't know, something else. Um, let's say, let's, let's just say, let's say a ballpoint pen, right? Um, then we, you know, we can through like context figure mm -hmm. out like how old each of those things are, especially like the Life magazine with a date on it, right? Um, so, with the, with the ship analogy, um, trying to say that the age of the earth is analogous to when the ship sunk kind of breaks for me because if we're thinking of that as like when time started, then how do these older things exist, right? If my house was built in 1990, how could I find um, uh, uh why would there be, I don't know, newspaper from 200 years before? Like, like how did the older thing get there? If, if we're thinking about, um, uh, if we're thinking about sort of like, even like age of the earth, if something says it's 20 million years old and we find something else that says it's a uh, hundred million years old, if the answer is 20 million, how does the hundred million thing exist? Well, the good question. Your analogy with a farmhouse is pretty obvious. People can bring things into a farmhouse and drop stuff off all the time. They don't do that with sunken ships. Uh, nobody puts the gold coins in the ships. They take them out, which is why I chose the ship analogy rather than a farmhouse, because this is, and it's all in a treasure chest and it's in a sunken ship. So I think it's a fair analogy. There are all kinds of ways you pick up a rock and you say, okay, how old is this rock? Mm -hmm. Well, gee whiz, it doesn't talk and there's all kinds of, how can I tell? I can look at the chemical analysis of the rock. I can look at the wear pattern. It's obviously rounded. I live in the middle of a gravel pit. How many rounded rocks do we have around here? Trillions of them, okay? So there's two options here. They call this river rock, which I think is a misnomer. Rivers, we know, tumble stones around and, and roll them and round them off against each other, okay? Uh, like a rock tumbler would do. But Noah's Ark flood, would, uh, the flood of Noah's day would do the same thing. See, if the tide came up and down on the earth like it does now, but it was not interrupted, 
Right now, the tide gets interrupted because there's things sticking up through the water called continents, okay? During Noah's flood, the tide would not have that interruption. It could become harmonic. A harmonic tide on the earth would be about a 200-foot tidal change as opposed to the average six or seven feet that it is now. So if the water came up 200 feet every six hours, 12 and a half minutes, all that water has to come rushing in from the side being pulled by moon's gravity. So it obviously is gonna roll the rocks around. So I can choose to look at this rock and say, wow, this was tumbled around in Noah's flood because Noah was in the ark long enough for 880 tidal changes. Water going up, down, in, out, 880 times. I think it's gonna tumble stuff around. I think the flood is the best explanation for the, the coal seams that we have. Why is coal always found in seams? Well, if the water came up 200 feet and came at this latitude, where I'm at, 31.35 degrees north latitude in Lenox, Alabama, the water would come rushing in at about 886 miles an hour. That's the speed we're turning toward the east right now. So for several hours while the tide's coming up, the water's rushing into that bump at 886 miles an hour. Well, that's going to tumble the rocks around and round them. It's going to knock down the forest and drop a layer of mud on top and make coal found in seams. It's going to bury clam beds, which is why we find millions, maybe even billions of petrified clams in the closed position. We've got thousands of them here in our museum. Somebody go grab me some out of the bookstore or out of, right next door to this wall here. We've got boxes of them here. They find petrified clams closed on top of Mount Everest. In Peru, South America, they found 500 giant fossilized oysters. I mean, some of them 11 feet. Oysters don't get that big today. So I think the Bible says the scoffers in the last days would be ignorant of the creation and the flood and the coming judgment of God. That's all in 2 Peter 3. So I think your farmhouse, or some, some analogy, would fail because of the fact that it's, you don't know who all walked through that area and came in and out, where the sunken ship is a more accurate one. So, Maddie, if you have some evidence that the earth is billions of years old, it needs to be weighed against any evidence that it's young. I think the ballpoint pen analogy, most of our listeners are understanding, that's reasonable. This pen was not made in 5,000 years ago. Could not have been. And if you think the earth is billions of years old, and yet we look at the facts and say, wow, the earth is spinning, but it's slowing down. The population is increasing. The moon's getting farther from the earth. The erosion of the rate of the continents. I mean, there's all kinds of scientific indicators. It's not billions. So go ahead. I took too much time there. So, but all of all of those things that you said, like the the rotation rate of the Earth and how it's it slows. I mean, it's not uh, and the movement from farther away. None of those are um, uh, incongruent with a billion four point five billion year old Earth. Um, it has to do with. Uh, I mean, the, the Earth-Moon system that has to do with the relative energy and the, the Moon is slowly, um, so it's more stable to have a tidally locked orbit like Mercury is. Um, so that's certainly not, um, so th that's not incongruent with, um, with a 4.5 billion year old Earth. I, I mean, additionally, another way that you can get uh, clams, things like that, up on the top of a mountain is plate tectonics, right? True, that's, true. That, that, that's a possibility. If yeah. you have time, if you have lots of time, the plates could have moved that far. But if it could be, here's some petrified closed clams. If you come visit us, I'll give you a bunch of them. We got thousands of them. A place in Tennessee where they're 10 feet thick, petrified closed clams has to be rapid burial. Um, something we don't see today happening like that. Um, well, I mean, a mudslide. <laughs> Okay, well, this is found worldwide. I have on my video number one, I don't know if you've seen it or not, uh, but I'll send you some if you'd like, seminar part one, I go through about 50 or 60 different scientific indicators. 
like the Big Ten, that the Earth is not billions or the universe cannot be billions. For instance, Jupiter is cooling off. Why do Jupiter and Saturn give off more heat than they receive? Well, hold it. Any planet that's cooling off, you'd have to say, okay, it used to be warmer, and at some point it's going to cool off. So if you want to ascribe billions of years to these planets, you have to explain why they haven't gotten down to room temperature, you know, freezing. Uh, why, why are they still losing heat? You can't just keep losing heat forever. They take about the gravitational collapse. We can talk about Jupiter and Saturn if you'd like, but I cover this with all the documentation on my go to uh, spaceplace.nasa.gov. It's really hot inside Jupiter. No one knows how hot, but they think it's 43,000 degrees Fahrenheit, 24,000 centigrade. But yet Jupiter and Saturn are cooling off. So this type of thing, if, I mean, if you came into a room and found a cup of coffee and I said, don't touch the coffee, it's hot. And you said, how long has it been there? I said, oh, for 2,000 years. You say, come on, a cup of coffee is not going to stay hot for 2,000 years. I mean, and we Jupiter certainly don't know all of the internal processes of Jupiter, right? It's just same thing. There's internal processes in Earth's mantle that adds heat to our system if, if we were just cooling from like the energy it would take to uh, uh, bring all of the mass of the earth together under gravity. Um, if we weren't um, heating, adding heat to the system through mostly radioactive decay um, in the earth's mantle, then the earth would not be livable right now. So there are certainly known geologic geophysical processes that can continue to add heat to a system after it's formed. Um, so Jupiter and Saturn not currently being, being in radiative equilibrium with the sun doesn't point, doesn't auto point to they, you know, doesn't auto point to an age. Um, so I, I do have a question. What did you, did you have thoughts about um, my, my issue with impact craters and why the earth geologically looks very different than, than the moon? Because that's, again, that's something that um, I tried to put forward my reasoning there, um, and I, I can't see a way to reconcile that observed fact with a younger. Well, I agree. The moon has lots of craters on it. I, don't, I didn't know somebody counted them. That had to be a government project. Oh, it was uh, me, actually. Okay, well, good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if the Earth, uh, I think my, my theory would be, and I couldn't prove this to anybody, but I just believe during the flood in the days of Noah, the Bible clearly teaches that before the flood came, that says there was water in the crust of the earth. The crust of the earth today, well, our atmosphere has several layers to it, obviously. We've got the troposphere, stratosphere, mesosphere, ionosphere, ecosphere. There used to be a layer of, I think, a couple inch thick layer of ice above that called the canopy theory. And again, that's, I think it's gone, it fell down at the flood. But the Bible says God founded the earth upon the waters. And it says during the time of Noah that the fountains of the deep broke open. I think everybody would agree there are still enormous amounts of water in the crust of the earth. You go down to the bottom of the ocean, you see hot water vents shooting up into the bottom. Well, now, if there's hot water shooting up into the bottom of the ocean, where does it have to be coming from? Down deeper than that. There are still huge pockets of really hot water in under the crust of the earth or within the crust of the earth. So my theory would be during the flood in the days of Noah, the crust of the earth cracked open, and we still have the cracks today called fault lines. The earth's all busted up like an eggshell. The water came shooting out along those cracks and probably launched things into orbit. You could be reasonably with that much pressure, say five or 10 miles of rock on top of water would reach escape velocity with some of the projectiles coming out. And so they probably made the craters on the moon from stuff flying off the earth. Maybe some of the asteroids and stuff flying around space today are still from stuff blasted off the earth. 
the reason the earth doesn't have as many craters, it was flooded. The flood would erase them all and reset the clock to zero. So if you would give me that uh, idea that maybe the craters on the moon came from earth being blasting the moon as it, as the, during Noah's flood, and some of the craters, some of the meteors came back and hit the earth. So we're still hitting them, you know, Behringer crater, stuff like that. We're still running into stuff, but it could have come from the earth itself. Uh, the, the explosion of the uh, fountains of the deep breaking open. I agree the continents are moving a little bit about as fast as your fingernails grow. But that's if, if you want to say there's not, no, not enough craters on the earth because of the slow growth where well, you're, you're ignoring the fact that at least the biblical teaching and thousands of ancient cultures, maybe not thousands, but hundreds of ancient cultures talk about a flood. Almost all the ancient cultures have a legend of a worldwide flood and a legend of what they call the golden age when man used to live to be a thousand. Well, if you read the dates in the Bible, according to the Bible, the people lived to be 900 years old before the flood. That's what it says. So, you know, Aristotle. Sorry, before, before we get on that, I kind of want to, okay. um, so, so, so uh, I just, before we got too far off, I wanted to address a few things you said. So I certainly agree that a um, like catastrophic flooding, something like that, um, is is going to definitely cause a lot of erosion, right? right. Um, I would need to run some numbers to see if it would be enough to do what you're talking about. But let's just let me just give you the benefit of the doubt um, and say that um, a flood like the one that you're describing would be able to erode away the craters. Um, there's still kind of an issue because impact craters actually leave a distinct um, pattern in a planet's gravitational field. Um, we can see that uh, the they they mess with the gravitational field. Um, we know that from the Grail mission that was launched in 2012. It mapped craters on the moon. Um, it shows some very wonky gravitational field, and that's also a way that we find uh, craters that we can't see. So we know that there are craters on Earth where the visual impact of the crater has been completely eroded, but the gravitational signature is still there. Sure. So I'm gonna. I don't think that explanation quite works, um, that water would completely erode and we wouldn't be able to see craters today. Well, um, according to the Bible, the flood, Noah was in the ark for a year. The flood actually lasted probably 280, 30 some days. And then he hit bottom and waited till stuff started growing again. So in 230 days of the water going up, down, up, down, in, out, 900 miles an hour at this latitude, 1037 at the equator and zero at the poles. Yeah, it would erase everything, including the magnetic signature. It would rearrange all the material. Uh, we have a few a few magnetic signatures we see on the Earth, but I think to say that we don't we don't see enough craters on the Earth, therefore it must be billions of years old. I think is uh, I, I I don't follow the logic there at all. And sorry, Maddie, I'm I'm getting old and deaf in my left ear and going from working in the factory. You'll have to talk a little more clearly and slowly. I didn't understand everything you said in the last one. Oh, okay. Sorry, I can I can slow down. I I tend to talk quickly when I get excited. Um, I did have a question. When you're saying the um, rate at which the flood water is moving, is that um, relative to, is that relative motion relative to the speed of the earth or are you including earth's rotation in that? Oh, it's, it's caused by the spin of the earth. I mean, the moon pulls up a bump of water on, in, you know, because of its gravity and it holds that bump called the high tide while we spin around. So in order for the bump to stay stationary under the moon, actually there's a little gravitational lag there, or not, not gravitational lag, what do they call that? Anyway, be, it is, okay, Rotation. rotational lag. Anyway, but the, basically the high tide bump stays under the moon all the time. Uh, and so the, the water has to be moving at the same speed the earth is turning at that latitude. 
which I'm in Lenox, Alabama, so it was turning about 886 miles an hour. So, yeah, that, that's all. The moon is causing the water yeah. to move on the Earth. Yeah, but that's, that's however many hundreds of miles an hour. Um, that's not the same as, like, uh, you know, a 200-mile-an-hour straight-lined wind coming from a tornado, right? Because that is... Um, sorry, I study tornadoes a lot of the time, so I'm going to reference meteorology quite a bit. Right, right. Um, uh, a 200 mile an hour wind, that's um, the rotation rate of the earth plus 200 more miles an hour, right? Because if it wasn't, so when you're talking about the tide moving, it's not moving with the force of the rotation rate of the earth because that's, um, it, that's, it, that's not relative motion. Um, and that's what matters when we're talking about impacts. Um, so that's why a 200 mile an hour wind is crazy and will shoot a piece of straw through your window. But if you're out on a still day, we can absolutely say that that air is moving at that. However many, I don't carry that number around in my head. No, the air is gravitationally locked to the surface of the earth. So that's, you know, that's not a problem. Yeah. The tides though are affected by the, actually the air is affected by the moon a little bit. Also, there's a, there's a, a, a tide the air is a little thicker under the moon than it is. I mean, maybe t yeah. 12, tw 20 miles instead of 18 miles. Who cares? But right. the, the, the air is not going to move back and forth do much at all due to the moon, due to the tide. The, anybody that studies oceanography, though, will tell you the, the oceans, because of their up and down movement and in and out, they're constantly eroding things on the bottom, filling in trenches. The Navy has a special place in, uh, I think it's Fort Collins, Colorado, where they have the, uh, the sedimentation tanks because they want to know can we still park our submarine in that in that channel? There are undersea channels that they, they look to hide their stuff in. And so they're always filling in and eroding new ones. There's, there's erosion at the bottom of the ocean, as well as erosion on the continents, due to the ocean's movement. And that, that is it's caused by, uh, almost exclusively, by the tide of the Earth moving up, down, in, out. Right. But the rate of that motion that we would see and measure would be fairly slow. Oh, I don't think a 900 mile an hour water movement. Of course, now the oceans, if, if the not... earth were... Go ahead, sorry. Well, if the earth were smooth, okay, mm -hmm. if there were no... just There's enough water out there right now to cover the earth about 8,000 feet deep. I don't think anybody argues with that. So there is enough water to flood the world. If you push all the continents down and just smooth out the crust, everything's yeah. about a mile and a half deep, 8,000 feet roughly. So that allows the tide to become harmonic, whereas now it gets interrupted all the time. Harmonic tide would be about a 200-foot tidal change. So if there's already 8,000 feet of water and you're adding 200 feet, you can't say that all of that water is rushing along the bottom, causing erosion and stuff like that, but some of it certainly is. I mean, if you, uh, um, a good analogy here, if you could somehow get a swimming pool and then suck the water up five feet and rush it, pulling it in from the sides, it's, gonna, it's going to do some damage to the surface. The whole point was, I don't think you could demonstrate that the craters are a problem for the young earth, I, you call it young earth, for the biblical model view, because the flood would explain why there are so few craters. I mean, I've been to the Behringer Crater. I didn't go to the Quebec one. It's 47 miles across or whatever. It's just really it's just a ring, ring left. And you can see the magnetic signature of that one up in Quebec, Canada. That's the biggest one I'm aware of or you, you know, when, when I studied this, but there are lots of craters on the earth, but not near as many as the moon. And I think the flood would have erased them all. Plus, if, they're being, if the moon craters are from the earth, of course, there's going to be less on the earth. They came from here. Okay, That's so, okay, so um, 
I disagree that the flood could erase crater signatures, but um, I'm okay to move on to, I wanted to talk about um, craters on the moon being from the earth, if that's okay, because I have, I have an issue with that. And that's um, the far side of the moon is, has a higher crater count density than the near side. So there's right. more craters on the far side, which never faces the earth. Um, so if we're talking about impacts clinging up to the moon, um, then how would you get more on the far side if these are coming from, um, if these are coming from the earth, if they're coming from uh, asteroids and leftover pieces that weren't incorporated into planets that are moving sort of equally in all directions, that's no problem. But if you're saying it's directionally from the earth, I don't see how you get the far side covered. Sure. A good question and fair question. Um, if if the flood model of the, uh, given in the Bible is correct and the fountains of the deep broke open and you had 10 miles of rock, which equals about 30 tons per square inch on anything under that, 30 tons per square, 60,000 PSI, as the water is escaping up along these cracks, certainly it's going to launch things out. And the moon would be hit direct on the near side, would be hit face on, you know, like a shotgun. Mm -hmm. The stuff that went past it or that was drawn in gravitationally later would generally be smaller stuff. The craters on the far side of the moon are smaller as well That's as lots true. more. Are there craters on the far side as big as the ones on the near side? Yes. I'm sorry, I, I personally did an undergraduate research project where I measured. Sure, okay. So um, I'm the one person would be, on the planet that can well, say that. The reason there's different, different crater patterns, different number of craters on both sides uh, is easily explained by my theory that it got blasted from the earth and stuff, the random stuff flying through space is going to be sucked in uh, by gravitational fields of earth or moon or any of the planets. But I think you would have to explain why is there a difference at all? Why, are, why isn't it equally distributed over the moon? You know, the crater pattern ought to be the same yeah. all the way around. If, if it is indeed caused by random, you know, strikes from space from all directions, why, so, why, is, why is the near side different than the far side? The near side is different. Do you see those? Oh, oh sorry. The, the, the dark spots, the mare on the moon? Right. right? Um, those are uh, the leftovers of really large impact events that were slightly later. So one form of relative dating. Um, so can't, can't give you an age, but can say that this is older than that um, has to, for planetary bodies is crater counts. Um, and so the mare, the dark parts, are um, you had a very, very large impactor come in. It partially melted the surface, which is why right. it's that black basaltic material instead of the light anorthosite. So it's the rest of the moon. Right. Um, and then, then those were later cratered more, right? So there's that are on top of the dark parts have to have happened after the dark parts formed, right? I and agree. the far side of the moon is there are no mare on the far side of the moon. It's just the anorthosites. Um, so so why, are there no, why are there no Mari on the far side of the moon? I mean, again, if it's getting hit randomly from space for billions of years, there wouldn't a big one hit out there enough to melt it too. I agree the, the dark spots from the being melted and all that stuff, but yeah, uh, I mean, quite possibly. And I, I don't know why that the, the near side is preferentially hit. Um, so that's, that's to my knowledge. I don't think, I think that's an open question. So okay. I don't have Fair enough. Fair enough. Would you agree then that uh, my theory uh, that the earth is only 6,000 years old and the moon was created with the earth and it got, moon got its craters basically from Noah's flood, the damage from that, that, that certainly hasn't been disproven in any way uh, by the cratering on the moon. I, I think there's a reasonable explanation that 
you know, see both of our both, both theories, creation and evolution, and both theories, you know, six thousand and billions. Uh, neither one can be technically proven in a laboratory, but all of us are paying for the one theory, the billions of years part, to be taught all the kids in school. And it's actually a, a it's a belief. You have to believe that it's a religious belief that you know the Earth, the Moon is billions of years old. We, we, we see the moon is leaving us. Google it, physics.org has a section on that. The moon is moving away from the earth. Right now, the moon is moving away from the earth at the rate of four centimeters a year. Okay, well, that means it used to be closer. Yep. You can't go back more than about one and a half billion years before the gravitational, they, they collapse. The, so gravi making, the orbit collapse. There's a quick go assumption you're making there that I want to point out, and that is that the moon has always moved away at that rate. Um, it's, it's, there's, there's that energy of that coupled system of the earth moon gravitational system. Um, that system is net losing energy. Um, but before the moon started moving away, that loss of energy went into tidally locking the moon into its current orbit. Well, now tidal locking is unrelated to the moon distance. That's just the spin of the moon. The moon spins right. once every 27 and a half days and it goes around once every 27 or whatever, 28 days or whatever. It used so to do yeah, that it, faster. Tidal locking is unrelated to the distance increasing. All the, all the websites are saying, here's astro.cornell university, the moon is moving away four right. centimeters a year, 3.8 centimeters. I'm certainly not debating that. What I'm saying okay. is that the moon is moving away because of, that's, do you agree that that's fundamentally related to the earth moon and the gra system and the gravitational pull between the two? Well, see, you, you taught, taught physics, you know, about the inverse square yeah. law. If you, bring, if you bring the moon into one half the distance, you quadruple the attraction. Right. Take the, take the one half and flip it in and square it. So yeah. the, all, the, all, the, all the research on this has said, look, the, the moon and cannot, well, here, right from, uh, let's see, uh, from uh, so Astronomical Journal, I mean, 25 years ago, they knew this. The evolution of the lunar semi-major axis presents a well-known timescale problem. The lunar orbit collapses a little over a billion years ago. So this is the coin in the box again, or the big pin. Just the moon, the moon, the moon Earth distance tells you. I'm sorry, you got to fit your theory into one billion years. You can't have 4.6 billion. So it just no, took away no, time. it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And the reason that it doesn't is because. So, um, do you know how the moon? Do you know the sci the current accepted scientific understanding of informed? I didn't hear the last part. These cut out here. The current scientific the, understanding of what? of how Earth's moon formed. I would say the current scientific belief <clears throat> of how Earth moon formed, okay. Yeah, I understand okay. what they teach. I don't believe it at all. I think it's a silly theory, but go ahead. Well, then I'm asking if I need to explain, uh, let, me, let me just say. So the current understanding is that a Mars-sized body collided with the Earth and ripped off part of it that then coalesced into the moon, right? And but, but the moon's gravity is not strong enough to make it. The moon's nearly a perfect sphere. And there's not yes. enough gravitational pull to draw it into a ball like that. Yes, I mean, when is. you drop a hot liquid, it's <laughs> going to pull itself into a ball because of surface tension. You think the moon, I think that's what you're saying has been disproven d mm -hmm. dozens of years ago. This is ahead. a very new, this is, this is like within the last decade, the models have worked this out. Um, this isn't old. This is new. Um, coale coale coalescing theory. I'm familiar with that. Yeah, but I yes, think it's, I think it's, I think it's been proven wrong years ago. But are you are they still teaching that somewhere? Gravity pulling things together into a sphere. That's that's what I mean by coalescing into a sphere. Oh, I understand. Yeah, gravity. Gravity, the center, the moon, the center of the moon is the center of its gravity, and it would pull things right. equally. I understand all that. But 
to pull it into a perfect sphere after an impact with the Earth. Something impacted the Earth and broke off a piece. It's called the ejection theory is what you're talking about. Uh, I'm not aware anybody's still teaching that, but it if they are, tell them I said they're wrong. It ripped off the mantle and it was liquid. And then that, anyway, that's the current understanding. So when that formed, right, that doesn't mean that the moon was right next to the Earth. It was already some distance away, right? And which makes, which makes the problem worse. If the no. moon was already, if it was ejected out, what's what's going to keep what's going to stop it from going and, and getting into, into an orbit? So how do you get a piece ejected off the Earth into an orbit? So it's not a piece. It's it's the impact is so much that it liquefies the Earth, primordial Earth on impact, right? Okay. And then rips that liquid rock out into space. Then those small pieces of liquid silica, right, are gravitationally attracted to each other more right. so than the Earth because they're closer together, right? Okay. And so now we have the moon at some distance. Now we have an Earth-Moon gravitational system, and there's a certain energy in that system, right? There's two main ways to lose energy from that gravitational system. The first is by slowing down the rotation rate of the moon, right? Sure. So we slow down the rotational rate of the moon until it's tidally locked and in the most energetically stable orbit it can be on, right? The system is still losing energy. Now what does that look like once the orbit is in its most stable state? Now that looks like the moon moving away. So the moon Earth-Moon distance issue is fundamentally an issue of energy loss and you can lose energy in more than one way and you're going to lose it in the, you're going to make the most um, gravitationally stable orbit you can first. Well, I agree. The, uh, the moon is gravitationally locked to the earth. We only see one side all the time. And I agree that it's a near perfect circular orbit. I mean, it's slightly elliptical, you know, apogee and perigee. But the, 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 to, to go from an ejection from the earth into a circular orbit, I don't think anybody's ever solved the physics on that. I think you're mistaken if you think they may be teaching it, but it's not true. It's not possible. And the fact that the moon is leaving, well, the moon not only creates the tide on the earth, it creates a drag and it slows the earth down about a thousandth of a second every day because of this tidal drag. So the the earth is slowing in its spin and the moon is receding in its distance. Mm -hmm. I would say this is like my analogy of the coins in the box. These are some things that are hard to get around for those who want to teach, you know, 4.5 billion years, the, 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 it's, the orbit collapses, bringing the moon back in closer four centimeters a year, it constantly increases the gravitational pull. And at some point with inverse square law, you're going to collapse the orbit. That's what they're all saying. The, the, the evolution of the lunar semi-major axis presents a well-known time scale problem. It collapses a little over a billion years ago. There are all kinds of scientific articles about this. The Darwin-Mignard tides collapse faster. So I, I think... Right, and I, I see that, but that paper is also from 94, which for planetary science is kind of ancient. I know, I'm pointing out 25 years ago, they knew this was a problem. I don't think they've solved it. They, they ignore it. They have in the way that I just described. I think they're ignoring a problem rather than solving it. Okay, if the moon is getting further away, that means it used to be closer. Bringing it closer creates numerous problems. 
gravitational pull increases and it creates higher tides on the earth, which is even more erosion features on the beaches. The closer you get, the higher the tides become. So uh, if, if somebody, I'd like to see a paper if somebody's actually solved it. Did they just give an answer or did they give a yeah. scientific answer? So I've read the paper. I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but I can look that up off stream and send that to you if you'd like. Yes, I, I would. But see, this is an example though of just one coin in the box that you guys are going to have to explain if you want. And keep in mind for your audience here, the whole argument for evolution hinges on lots of time. Even with lots of time, it doesn't help, I think, because we've never seen a dog produce a non-dog or a cow produce a non-cow. We've certainly never seen a rock come alive. So if you time don't mind, isn't... I really like to stick to geophysics and not biology, sure, sure. Okay. I'm not a biologist. My, my point is time is not going to help. So, But with geophysics, okay. the Earth is spinning if the Earth were, and it's slowing down for tidal friction on the earth, liquid friction inside the under, underside the crust, under the crust of the earth, the slowing spin of the earth is another problem. If you go back in time and add a thousandth of a second every day, now whether it's linear or logarithmic, or uh, I don't know, it, it doesn't matter. Either way, it's a problem. So this increasing the speed of the earth makes it flatten out like a Frisbee instead of like a ball. It is slightly equatorial bulge now. So am I, by the way, but I'm working on it. Uh, <clears throat> so the... Uh, the spin of the Earth and the receding moon and the cratering on the moon all fit perfectly fine into the biblical model of 6,000 years ago created, and which is another big problem. Where did this matter come from? And this energy, you keep talking about losing energy. I agree. The systems are all losing energy. So you have to start with energy somewhere. Who provided all this? Who's buying the gas to run this machine anyway? It's a lot of energy in the universe. A yeah. lot of energy. Um, that all came from a dot exploding, a nothing? Um, I'm happy to talk about Big Bang if you'd like to move there. But before we go, there was one point okay, that you sure. made earlier on that I wanted to address before we move away. Okay. Um, and that was the, the dome of ice um, over the Earth. Do you mind if sure. we chat about that for a bit? Oh, okay. Um, so I have heard you say in other debates that you th that that dome would be super cooled because it's in contact with the um, with like like with open space, which is in our solar system like forty Kelvin, so very close to absolute zero. Is mm -hmm. that a position that you hold? Well, the certainly the Bible teaches that people before the flood lived to be nine hundred years old. I mean that's what it says, and. Many ancient cultures have legends of that, and we find fossils of animals that are absolutely enormous by today's standards. They find fossils of insects like dragonflies with 50-inch wingspan. They can't possibly get that big today because of the surface area to volume ratio problem. They breathe through spiracles in their skin. And I cover all that in my video number two. So I say, yes, the, 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 there was, the Bible says there was water above the atmosphere where the birds fly, the firmament it's called in Genesis chapter one. So the Jews have always taught that there was a crystalline canopy, two or three fingers thick. I think we'd both agree that the Earth does, the atmosphere does have distinct layers. You can look at the clouds and they're flat on the bottom and puffy on top. Why are they flat on the bottom? There, there are layers to our atmosphere. A crystal, a canopy, say 10 miles up, just to pick a number, a couple inch thick layer of ice would make the whole Earth like a big greenhouse. It would protect it. If that ice was super cold, uh, they, if, if that's the edge of our of our atmosphere and the rest mm -hmm. is outer space, uh, when it shattered from the fountains of the deep breaking open, ice, super cold ice is magnetic. It would be sucked in and dumped on the poles, which is probably where most of the ice age ice came from. But I cover all that on my video number two. 
uh, this, and I, I call it the Hovind theory. I'm not demanding everybody teach this to everybody at taxpayer expense. I'm allowed to teach and believe whatever I want. Uh, so I don't think there's a problem there. So, but yes, to answer your question, I do believe there was a canopy of ice above the atmosphere. I couldn't prove it to anybody. That's just that I believe. I think a lot of evidence, it solves a lot of, uh, it's, it's, it answers a lot of questions for what we see on earth with the giant insects and the great age and the huge, huge lizards called dinosaurs uh, that lived with man. They did not live millions of years ago, but go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay, so the, um, and if, if there were an ice dome at sort of capping Earth's um, atmosphere, right? Mm -hmm. If that were there, um, it wouldn't be super cooled, right? It would be the, the top of the atmosphere is in radiative equilibrium with the sun. So it's, and that you can do that, it's a simple calculation for black body radiation temperature. So it would be about 255 Kelvin, which is about zero degrees Fahrenheit would be as cold as that can get because it would need to be in black body radiation, black body equilibrium with incoming solar radiation. Well, now I'm looking at a, a picture from an earth science textbook here talking about mm -hmm. at, the, at, at the lower edge of the thermosphere, it is minus 80 degrees, minus 80. Yeah. Okay, so I think everybody would agree that the, our atmosphere, as you go up, it, it goes to different, te you, higher temperature, lower temperature, various, there's a lot of factors involved in this, but <clears throat> so the uh, thermal incline, what's the term for that? Anyway, the, the, I forget now, it's been 20 years. Oh, we call it lapse rate in meteorology. Okay, so the Earth's atmosphere does have, I mean, ask anybody that's gone up in a jet plane, it's cold up there if you don't open the window, you know, it's real cold, like 80 below zero. So what it would take to keep ice up there it would only take anything below 32. Uh, so I don't know. I know that super cold ice is magnetic when you, I don't know what temperature it actually becomes magnetic because the, the hydrogen oxygen molecules rearrange and it becomes laminated hydrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, oxygen, instead of the normal uh, matrix that you get from ice locking together because of the 105 degree angle in the water molecule. Right. Uh, uh, I think that the uh, crystalline canopy theory this guy calls it a vapor canopy. I disagree. I think it was ice. Uh, it could have been held up like an inflatable building. Just air pressure could have held it. It could have been held up by the magnetic field. It could have been held up by centrifugal force or all three combined. Um, okay, so well, air pressure inch. wouldn't work. What now? Air pressure wouldn't work. If you had a solid, uh, air pressure works fine on my tires. It's equally distributed in there. It holds the whole car up off the road. But that's, yeah, so that's certainly not what we observe the Earth's atmosphere to be, right? Density decreases um, exponentially with height. So unless well, you're proposing out. that the Earth's atmosphere was fundamentally yeah. if, different before. If the Earth were completely encapsulated right now, if you could squeeze all the air down to 10 miles and seal it off in a like a big tire, of course it would be fine. Uh, uh, I don't. They do inflatable buildings that way. I mean, here's a picture of one right here. This is quite common. All the tires and I'm aware of do this kind of thing. Um, so I don't that, think, I don't understand the problem. That would there. be well, because that, that's not what the atmosphere looks like, right? Um, that's not what the atmosphere looks like now. So I'm disinclined to say that the atmosphere in the past would have been have fundamentally different properties, right, than it would have today without any type of evidence for that. Well, no, I'm saying um, if you did today's atmosphere varies, let's just pick a number and say it's 50 miles thick for the sake of the argument here. If you squeezed all the air down into 10 miles or 15 miles and covered it with a couple inch layer of ice and a, a, a crystal ball, okay, a globe, 
a globe sphere, then at the surface, air pressure is much greater and everything can breathe better. And that's what hyperbaric chambers are all about. They use them in hospitals all the time. High pressure air makes everything heal faster. And okay. it certainly is not harmful. And we see evidence in the fossils of giant creatures that are found. Eight foot beavers have been found. We got beavers in our lake down here. We'd like to shoot because they keep plugging up our culvert, but uh, they don't get eight foot beavers today. Beavers never stop growing, but they don't get to eight feet. So something was different on this planet. The fossil record is very clear. Lots of animals were huge in the past. And in the creation view, this was pre-flood. When the Bible says the people lived to be 900. In the evolution view, this was prehistoric. Well, this, either way, so, some, we agree things were bigger. Insects have a surface area to volume ratio problem. If I took a cube that was one inch by one inch by one I, inch. I'm, I'm aware of how surface area relates to volume. Okay, well, my point is, if, if a cube is one by one by one, it has six square inches of surface and one cubic inch of volume. Yeah. If I double it, so it's six to one, surface area to volume. If I double it to two by two by two, it now has 24 square inches of surface. Right. Volume increases so the only three loss, surface area in increases. So insects, in insects that have to breathe through their skin through spiracles, they don't have a lung system. They don't, they don't actively suck it in. They breathe, well, they, the spiracles, they're limited because- the, One thing uh, I want to mention is we have a few more minutes before we go into the Q&A. Okay. okay. Insects are limited in size today because of the air pressure. If the air pressure were greater, insects could get bigger. We find fossils of them that are huge. 18-inch cockroaches have been found fossilized. Giant it looks ants. like you got something to say. Just okay. we have so, some just a few, I, like, I, I understand the problem that you're presenting, Kent, and my, my quick rebuttal to that would be, I mean, we might not have eight-foot beavers, but we certainly have elephants, right? We certainly have very large land mammals and land creatures today. Um, I think we probably kind of hit an impasse on that. Um, can I, uh, I want to address one other thing about the ice, but there's sort of one point I want to come to. Do you at least agree that there is no natural process that would cause that ice dome to form, right? Well, to form, I, no, I think it was all created. I think it okay. disintegrated, so, disintegrated because of the Noah's flood, but no, the okay. formation, there's no natural process to make the earth out of nothing either. I'm going to leave that, but um, at least, so uh, I, the, my issue, one of my issues with the dome is that there's not a natural process that would cause it. If you're not claiming a natural process, then that's, that's okay. Um, one quick thing about the ice though, um, the ice is, ice is not very good at protecting you from UV. It's good at reflection overall. We would probably increase planetary albedo from its current 0.3 to more like 0.6 or 0.75. Um, so it would reflect lots of things, but ice is good at absorbing in the infrared, not in the UV. So it's, um, I think I've heard you say that it would, uh, ice would help protect from incoming UV radiation. Yeah, I, I may be wrong on that. Thank you for pointing okay. that out. I'll, I'll fix that. Yeah. Um, the increasing yeah, air pressure and an ice dome would uh, act as a filter for some of the things coming from the sun. Maybe not okay. the UV. Right, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we're going to hit an impasse on that, Kent, because I, I'm not going to accept something without a natural cause, and, and you're not claiming that, so that's, that's, that's fine. Um, okay, uh, I know we probably don't have much time, James. Was there anything else with the ice we wanted to talk about? I think I hit my main points. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to address Big Bang or possibly solar system formation. 
Well, I'd like I would to point out when the space shuttle takes off, the exhaust from the space shuttle forms ice crystals. All right, here's the article from astronomy.com back in 03, uh, June 13th of 03. Ice clouds forming from space shuttle's exhaust. Then the clouds drift over the, the poles. The clouds from the exhaust, from the uh, clouds of ice are sucked into the poles because super cold ice is magnetic. Why would it go over the North and South Pole? Uh, if you read the book of Josephus, which was written about the time of Jesus Christ, there, the Jewish teaching at the time was, on the second day, he set the heaven above the universe, surrounding it with ice. This is what they've always taught, okay? Uh, translation of Josephus, he put a crystalline firmament around it. This Jewish book taught that the thickness was between three, being three fingers. This guy said the thickness is two fingers. And some, you know, I'm sure they've split the church and started the church of the two fingers and the church of the three fingers. But the point is, there's a couple inches of ice layer. This is what they've always taught. I happen to believe that theory. The Legend of the Jews by Lewis Ginsburg. Uh, second day, he made the, he stretched a crystalline firmament over the heads of the Hayat. He made it to crystallize. Uh, similar to an igloo, I guess. Uh, you can go inside an igloo and build a fire and you can't melt the roof because it conducts the heat away. So I don't think there's any problem with my ice canopy theory, but I do specify it is a theory. And it certainly does answer why we get giant insect fossils. Okay. Um, did you want to talk about Big Bang or solar system formation? Sure, sure, you made a couple sure. points on that. Go ahead. What's your theory on the Big Bang? What exploded? Where did it come from? Where did the energy come from? Where did space come from to, for it to explode into? Okay, great. Um, so uh, this isn't my theory. This is uh, sort of current consensus scholarship um, would be that. Um, so explosion is a bit of a misnomer. So what we're talking about is a rapid expansion. Right, right. Right. Um, and so that's just kind of an important thing because explosion sort of uh, puts a certain thing in our minds about you know, like a bomb going off or something like that, which is which is certainly not what the Big Bang Theory says. Um, so the basic idea is that, so one, um, the question of, so one, it would have been all energy, right? We'd have started with just all energy in a super dense point, right? Which then became unstable and rapidly expanded. Um, the, where did the energy come from? That's, um, that is an unknown in the scientific field. Um, the, the current understanding is that sort of energy is maybe eternal, it might be the best way to say that, um, that energy sort of is, uh, we have never observed a process that can either create or destroy energy. Um, so why would that be different if we go very far back in time, right? Um, uh, and in terms of where did the space come from that that expanded into, uh, best way to think about that is going to be think of it as a, as a balloon. Right, where um, everything that's formed is then you stick it to the surface of the balloon and then you start to blow that balloon up, right? So it's creating space as it goes, right? Um, and I think then the question is, how is that a thing that we know, right? What evidence do we have that suggests that this is true? Um, uh, one of the best points is um, universal background microwave radiation. So if you take a nice microwave telescope, you point it anywhere in the sky, you will always get the same constant background uh, uh, signal, right? Um, so it's not coming from one single source. It seems to be coming from everywhere all the time. Pretty quick um, here, just because we, uh, I'll, I'll give you a chance to wrap up and then pretty soon we'll okay. go into Q&A. Great. Okay, sorry. Um, uh, I'll just stick with, there's other things that point to the Big Bang, but I'll stick to uh, Baccarat 
background microwave radiation, because I certainly want to give Kent a chance to respond to that argument. Okay, well, uh, so according to this Big Bang theory that I understand they're currently teaching is that all the matter in the universe was in a dot smaller than a proton. I don't think you can squeeze a bowling ball into a dot smaller than a BB. Uh, the, 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 this is pure imagination. All the energy and man matter was in a dot. Just stop and stand back and look at this idea how dumb this is. You can't squeeze a gallon of milk into a dot smaller than a bowling, but smaller than a, than a BB. And the whole Pacific Ocean was squeezed in there and all the earth and all the planets and all the stars. It is so far out there. It's absolutely insane that a person would believe that. And then they say it didn't explode, it expanded rapidly. Well, it went from this dot to, to what, 26, uh, how many billion light years across in, in a nanosecond. So the matter is moving faster than the speed of light. I, you'd have a hard time getting a light to move faster than the speed of light, but they want to actually accelerate the matter. And you said the, the, it's like a balloon, it's creating the space as it expands. And you said the energy might be eternal. This is really an admission, and thank you, that we don't know, and something has to be eternal. Time, space, and where did time come from? If the Big Bang took place 13.8 billion years ago, what was there 14 billion years ago, or 15, or 16, or 200, or 10 billion, billion 10 trillion years ago? So is time eternal? Is matter eternal? Is space eternal? Time, energy, matter, space, these things, the Bible answers that in 10 words. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heaven. There's space and the earth, matter. I, I believe by faith, God did it. You believe by faith, matter did it, or energy did it. It's a religion, Maddie. You have you hold to a religion. You don't have a science. You I'll science give you it up. A Get some super short and pithy response, uh, Maddie, like literally 30 seconds or so, and then we do have to jump into these questions. Folks, got to let you know, with our limited time with our guests, we probably, I would say, at this point, any new questions that come in after this moment, we I don't think we're going to get to them. So I want to give you that warning. But Maddie, go ahead with your uh, last rejoinder. Okay, so um, first thing, I very specifically said energy, not matter. So matter can be created from energy, so we don't need to push the matter altogether, just the energy. Um, and uh, two, I would not characterize my view of uh, how the universe came into existence as a belief system but rather as an acceptance of the preponderance of evidence. Gotcha. We are going to jump into the Q&A, folks. I want to remind you that our guests are linked in the description. So if you want to hear more, whether you are listening here on YouTube or via the Modern Day Debate podcast, because we are on podcasts, look us up if you haven't already. You can find our guest links in the description box for the podcast episode as well. And so thanks so much for your question. This one coming in from Top Hot 2. Thank you. This is, we had some support super chats yesterday because we, uh, as you all know, we persevered and this debate happened, which we're really thankful for our guests. Thank you for your kind words and support after yesterday's um, miss. But we're glad it happened today. And Stephen Steen says, Dad? I don't know. Uh, not my son. Junk Shop Library says, please ask Dr. Hoven to quote Coleridge, quote, water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. What on earth does that have to do with anything? I don't know. Next up, Chris Gammon says... He's talking about says, a sailor lost in a boat out at sea, and he's water, water, whatever, and he can't drink it because it's salt water. I mean, it's unrelated to what we're talking about. You got it. And Chris Gammon says, Maddie, you rock. Look, uh, let's see. You've got a fan out there, Maddie, as well. And then they say, uh, thanks 
James, for everything you do, and Kent, for being here to present your arguments. So, thanks for your kind words, Chris. That's encouraging. And Sebastian says, it's my desire to see Kent Hovind do science. In his defense, I want to see him, let's see, debate the best flat earther there is using science as his weapon. I think they mean against Nathan Thompson. I don't know if that'll happen. Maybe someday. But next up, Sigma, and he says, let's see, we're looking for more serious questions. P. Barnes says, skin regenerates every 27 days using ken's quote-unquote coins in a box analogy does that make me under a month old uh, this is no, nothing to do with the coin analogy uh, you're adding new skin cells to your body on the surface what on earth does that have to do with the coin analogy so again it's like the farmhouse you're being stuff's being added coins aren't being added to the sunken ship gotcha and this one coming in from steven steen says Kent is my hero. I want to take my kids down to Dinosaur Adventure Land for a science field trip. Got a fan out there as well, Kent. And then Amy bring Newman. Them, hey, bring, them, bring them down. Everything's free. We've had people visit from 60 countries and all 50 states. We've had some skeptics and scoffers and atheists and evolutionists come, come on down. Our science center is really incredible. I think you'll love it. Come on down. You got it. And thank you, Amy. So who says, after show on Amy Newman's channel, that's linked in the description, folks, and says, for Kent, if I have a question. If you were no longer a Christian, would you stop believing the age of the earth was 6,000 years old? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, my belief in the age of the earth has only to do with science. I mean, not only to do, but I, as I said at the beginning, there's a biblical answer and a scientific answer. I think the scientific answer shows clearly this earth cannot be billions of years old. We see the earth slowing down in its spin. We see the oceans filling in with sediments. We see the mountains eroding down, not up. We see some, you know, uplifting a few spots because of continental flexing, but we see the moon getting further away. We see the sun is obviously burning up 5 million tons a second. All the indicators we see are everything going down, down, down. This, it puts a time limit. All of these factors put some kind of time limit. When you add them all up, I'd say it would be completely illogical to believe the earth is billions of years old, scientifically without the Bible. Gotcha. And thank you very much. Brandon Ardeline says, Kent, have you ever consider, considered using your resources to perform experiments that substantiate the young earth model? In other words, I think they mean like your own experiments out there as the flat earthers do. Uh, the earth is not flat. Part Kansas is flat, but the rest of it's round. Okay. Um, so I'll be glad to debate them if I don't want to waste time on that. Okay. I can prove from our lake out here on our property that the earth is round and we got to, we almost got it done to set up laser at each end, go to the middle. There'll be a rise in the lake, just in a, a couple, in a, in a thousand feet, you'll see the earth is round on our lake. Okay. So that, that I'm sorry that some people fell for that when they started teaching that. Uh, no worries. We do experiments here all the time. I mean, that's our science center. It's all hands-on stuff, blow things up, burn things down. Uh, come on down. It's fun. Gotcha. And thank you very much, Vincent Doan, who says, Kent, were the continents and Mount Everest not there before the flood? How did these continents form without superheating the earth? Extinct clams die in the closed position. They aren't the same as modern ones. Well, the crust of the earth is broken up like an eggshell. I don't think anybody argues with that. And if the crust, of, if the earth were completely covered in water on a broken crust, the, you get a, a section of the crust the size of Texas, let's say, and it's got a mile of water on it. It's one place slowly sinks in, other place lifts up. Now the water's going to run off to the low spot, just with gravity toward the center of the earth. So the, it's interesting, if you look at any globe, 
the mount, nearly all the mountain ranges follow the coastlines. Why do the Rocky Mountains follow the Pacific coastline and the Andes Mountains follow the uh, Mediterranean and the, uh, the South American mountains follow the South Pacific? The Appalachian, the Appalachian Mountains follow the North Atlantic. I think the, mount, the Bible says in Psalm 104, at the end of the flood, the mountains arose, the valley sank down, and the water rushed off. I think Grand Canyon probably formed in less than a week. I cover that in one of our demonstrations here, rapid formation of canyon. Google, Google dam break at Dinosaur Adventure Land on YouTube and watch. We, we dam washed out in seven minutes. Uh, so I think the, all the erosion features can be explained by the floodwaters running off of the earth and the, the crust of the earth flexing up and down like it's still doing today probably started because of the flood, the crust of the earth being disrupted and flexing up and down. So they're moving up and down slowly, uh, but most of the rapid movement was during Noah's flood. And second Peter said the scoffers are ignorant of the flood. That's the problem. I don't think you can study earth science and be a student of a good student of earth science without understanding there was a flood, a global flood. Next one, Stephen Steen says, Kent is the greatest scientist of our time. Next up, thank you very much. Sigma Eni says, hi Kent. Why did Noah make a detour to drop kangaroos off at Australia? And what, quote-unquote, kind do kangaroos belong to? As far as I'm aware, kangaroos only produce baby kangaroos. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever seen any exceptions to that. There are several different varieties of kangaroos. But uh, after the flood, I covered this on my video number six called the Hoven Theory. I think we would all agree that the Earth has oceans on it, and the oceans have different depths. There's a thing called a continental shelf around all the continents. Some places it's not very wide. Some places it's really wide. Between Vietnam and Australia, the water in here is inc incredibly shallow. I mean, like 30 to 50 feet, the width of this room. So if you lowered the ocean, the ocean's average 12,000 feet deep right now. If you, if you took 100 feet of water out of the ocean, 100 feet, freeze it, stick it on the North and South Pole. If the ice caps are bigger, the oceans are lower, common sense 101. If you lowered the oceans, all the continents are connected. How did the kangaroos get from Noah's Ark landing in Turkey to Australia? They hop, that's how they get everywhere. So if, if just by lowering the oceans 100 feet is plenty to connect everything, Australia would be a peninsula rather than an island. Uh, this, it, I cover this gotcha. in video number six and with all the maps and charts and depths of, depths of the water and everything, so Google it. Just this Google, Google Earth, Indonesia, and look, it's, the water's real shallow. It's a giant continental shelf. You got it. And Vlad says, Kent reminds me, let's see. It's looking for more serious questions, folks. Vincent Doan says, almost every civilization is near water, especially ancient ones. Of course, places that only know what is around them will think that their world is flooded. So I think they're claiming that's the explanation from their perspective on the global flood idea that is a quick comment matt it Maddie's what he's what he's trying to say is he's smart everybody before him was dumb that's how i would translate what he said go ahead i so i think that they were saying that the reason that there's a global flood idea all around the world in the ancient world ancient history is they're saying because every civilization was near water and so at some point they experienced a, a massive flood at, at one point or another and so therefore they started a legend that the whole world was flooded again i'm going back to he's thinking i'm smart everybody else is dumb they're too they're too they're too dumb to realize i mean most people when a flood comes along they're smart enough you know 
move. Why would God tell Noah to build a boat? Tell him to move. Had to be a worldwide flood. He had a hundred years warning. I think you could move anywhere in a hundred years. Gotcha. And Howard Moore says 900 years divide 900 by 12. Could it be that the years were actually moon cycles rather than earth, rather than earth orbits? In other words, 900 moons would equal 75 years. I understand that argument. If you look at the dates in Genesis chapter five, two of the people before the flood were 65 when they became a father. Divide that by 12. The kid's five and a half and he becomes a daddy. I don't think so. Gotcha. And Vincent Doan says, what would the velocity have to be to have Earth chunks leave the atmosphere? The moon has not always been moving at the same rate. There are other factors. Well, the escape velocity from the Earth varies with your altitude, but about 17,000 miles an hour, I think, is escape velocity, if I recall, 17,500. And there's a lot, of, a lot of factors involved in this. But if you had 60,000 PSI, which is right now what you have at 30 at 10 miles down a cubic foot of rock weighs i forget that i did all the math on video number six if you watch it show the picture a cubic foot of rock stacked up you know cubic feet stacked up you know 10 miles is going to put sixty thousand pounds per square inch if you get a crack in the rock stuff can go shooting up at incredible velocities enough to break edges off the pieces off the side and launch them into space. I don't think it's a problem with that much pressure reaching escape velocity. For heaven's sake, Maddie's theory has something coming in, hitting the earth and the whole moon leaves with escape velocity. <laughs> Next up, this one coming in from Crepitus S says, Kent, are you familiar with the time cube? Is that how dinosaurs met Jesus? Not sure what they mean. I don't know about the time cube. I don't know if dinosaurs met Jesus or not, but reptiles never stop growing today. And the Bible says they live to be 900. So reptiles living to be 900 would get 40, 50, 50 feet long. I think dinosaurs were just big lizards or reptiles. They, they didn't make up the word dinosaur until 1841. So they probably called them dragons before that or some other name for their culture, maybe behemoth, like in Job chapter 40, or Leviathan mentioned about eight or 10 times in the Bible. So yeah, they had different names for it. They just changed the name to dinosaur in 1841. I think they've always lived with, there might be some still around. There've been a lot of strange sightings, kind of like Loch Ness Monster stuff. And that's on video number three, all about dinosaurs. Gotcha. And this one from Captain Crunch says, but you're explaining tidal deceleration far too com in a far too complex way. Uh, I think that was from Maddie. They said, mm -hmm. let's see, use words like budge and tugs forward. Sigma and he says, Kent, out of curiosity, how many folks back there? Let's see. It sounds like you have a crowd. I uh, we hope you're all doing well at Dinosaur Adventure Land. And uh, they okay. They asked, do you have help? Do you have someone that is uh, giving you answers? No one's helping me answer the questions tonight. I've done these many times. Uh, we have, I think, we probably have forty or fifty people that live here. People come and go all the time. Some stay longer than we'd like, uh, but uh, <laughs> they just come to volunteer and help us build the place. It's a, it's an amazing place. It just is. How many of you like it here, Dinosaur Adventure Land? Uh, okay, so come on down, see the place. It's it's free. What else do you want? It's, I pay for the food. I pay for the electricity, the utilities, a house. We got twenty cabin spaces, twenty motorhome hookups. We just we just want to win souls to Christ, Maddie. We want to win you to the Lord. You're going to make a great Christian when we get you converted. 
I know that Erica Gutsick Gibbon is looking for a spot for her marriage ceremony and reception. Do you guys do that at Dinosaur Adventureland? We have had about 30 weddings here, and they've discovered that two can live as cheap as one, but only for half as long. Interesting. And Miss Tree, thanks for your question, said, Kent, if you need, let's see. Oh, okay. So this is going back to Maddie's point that a paper was dated. They said, Kent, if you needed brain surgery and your surgeon insisted on using methods from 1994, would you be okay with that? Well, the assumption is that the, because something's old, therefore it's no longer true. I mean, two plus two was four a long time ago. I don't think they've changed that at all. I think many real, real scientific facts don't have, they don't change. They're, it's just true. The inverse square law, that's true a thousand years ago and it's true today, it'll be true tomorrow. So that's a silly argument to say because the lunar orbit collapsing, was the article was from 1994. I, I didn't have time to try to find a more recent one, but um, I mean, it's busy down here. Am I busy or what around here? Okay, okay, four o'clock comes early. I don't do anything at four, but it comes early. Anyway, so um, I think uh, I have lots more to do than this. And so I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't get time, but I'll check. If, if there's some scientific proof that the lunar orbit could exist for longer than 1.4 billion years, I'd like to see the math on that. Gotcha. I'm, Go ahead, I've Maddie. got a note. I'm going to send you that paper. Yeah, send that to me, Maddie. Gotcha. And given that we, uh, we, I'm surprised, I'm looking through the list. We have zero questions for Maddie. If you, if you want to jingle in, you're welcome to Maddie. And uh, Krabbitus S, let's see. Vincent Doan says, Kent, animals were bigger because more plants and more oxygen. It's been studied and understood. Also, ERVs, right, Kent? There's a great article about the ERVs if you'd like to go to ICR, Institute for Creation Research.org. ER, we'll get into ERVs another night. That's not on this topic tonight. And I've got a hot date with my wife here. I've got to go too soon. How much longer we got here, James? Just a few minutes. Okay. A question from here. You got one from Maddie from here, James. Can you take one from my audience? Let's take one, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Um, Maddie. What talk louder, talk fast. What, what does uh, superheated rock cool down into? Good point. Superheated rock, what does it cool into? What type of rock does it make? So are you referring to the formation of basaltic rock, um, like with the, the moon and what you see on ocean floors? Get up here where you can talk in the mic, brother. Can volcanic rock, right? Well, uh, igneous so, yeah, rock. Volcanic rock. Sorry, uh, the, the igneous rock. That's fine, yeah. Igneous rock. Okay, go ahead. What's so, the so if it was a superheated earth and, and everything was molting, molten, how would it cool down and there'd be sand and water, anything? It would. Why be, isn't everything igneous rock? Yeah, it'd be okay. rock and pumice. Okay. Can I take a minute or two? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so... Um, the Earth uh, is bimodal, right? We have a bimodal topography, we have ocean crust, and we have continental crust. So oceans, ocean crust is that igneous, and by and large, continental crust is not. Um, I didn't talk about the processes by which continental crust is formed, but they're formed um, much slower processes, and they're formed specifically where you see subducting oceanic plates under continental plates. So it's bringing in that raw material. It's also bringing water down with it. So you get some melting of the mantle. Um, and then through a variety of processes, uh, you can make different types of continental crust. So continental crust is formed by a different process than what I described with the um, ocean floor. 
crust and it would also be different from if you had like a molten earth and it solidified you're absolutely right you would start with all of that like igneous type rock um, and then so to get continental crust you would need um, those other processes that occur right at the boundary of the mantle and the crust gotcha and thank you very much for your question this one from mm -hmm. silver harlow let's see said dear kent at 552 pacific time you said quote the fossil record is clear unquote just wanted to get that on the record would you still agree with that kent the fossil record is clear well, what they call the fossil the fact is there are a lot of fossils in the ground a lot of fossils like way more than we have alive today or lots of fossils fossils don't form today in any significant i'm not aware of any fossils forming today deer get hit on the highway all the time around here in alabama none of them fossilize so the fact that we have fossils at all is indication of rapid burial like noah's flood so all the fossils indicate that creatures were bigger. So the record we can interpret by reading what we see in the fossils is, wow, something was different on the planet. I don't believe there's a fossil record where you can put them in some kind of order and say that they're dated. They're telling the kids in school the top layer is younger than the bottom layer, you know, the geologic column. I say, stop, stop. Where's this top layer coming from? Outer space? No. All the layers are the same age. If you shuffle a deck of cards, is the top card younger? No, they got shuffled. All the layers we see in the earth formed during Noah's flood, they're all the same age. There's no such thing as a Jurassic period. No such thing. It's all baloney. It's logical nonsense to say the top layer is younger. They're, gotcha. They're, this, they're all the same age. This Where's one coming in. Sorry, Vincent Doan, I missed your question. We do have one or two for Maddie. They said, Maddie, can you talk about the Big Bang for a layperson? Because I still don't understand it quite yet. Yeah, sure. Um, so the Big Bang, okay, most people are familiar with the, uh, with Einstein's equation, like any E equals MC squared, right? Energy is mass times the speed of light squared. So what that tells us is that you can convert mass and turn it into um, pure energy, like electro, like a photon, electromagnetic waves, right? But you can also do the reverse. You can take a photon and turn it into mass and matter. Um, a great way that you see this is uh, pair production. That's, that's a, a nuclear reaction that's constantly observed where a photon splits into an electron and a positron. Um, so Big Bang, where it comes from is we measure this constant background microwave radiation, right? And we also measure that everything is moving further apart, right? Not only, so if you point your telescope up at the sky, everything you see is moving away from Earth, but it's also moving away from each other. Right. So if things are further apart now than they were yesterday, they probably used to be closer together. Right. Um, so uh, if you take all of that and kind of bring it together, then what you get is you can contract everything back to basically a single point. And the understanding is that was um, extremely high, just obscenely crazy, high, intense energy, point of energy. And then when that became unstable, it expanded rapidly. And then that energy is able to spontaneously turn into um, mass and matter. Um, again, a great example is pair production. Um, so that's my gotcha. that's my like thirty second explanation. They also had another question. They said, "I want to hear what Maddie was going to say about the size of a dot point." The size of a dot point. I'm the sorry, size, I don't. The size of what exploded for the Big Bang? What size oh, dot was it? Where um, all, all this that's energy not. Put into what? Fair. That's that's not that's not something that I carry around in my head. So I, I don't know that off the top of my head. Gotcha. 
we want to say thank you to our guests, folks. We will be back with a post credit scene, letting you know about upcoming debates in the future as we are very excited. For example, this debate coming up next week should be a juicy one, folks, namely the Book of Daniel prophecy or forgery. You don't want to miss that one live, so hit that subscribe button, and I will be back in just a moment. But I want to say thank you so much to our guests. It's been a true pleasure to have you guys. And our guests are linked in the description, folks, so you can hear more where that came from. Thanks so much, both Kent and Maddie, for being with us tonight. Well, thank you for having me. And Maddie, please come visit. We'll give you a tour around here. That sounds nice. And I looked at, no, I think you guys are clear for tornado. I've been keeping an eye on y'all for tornado outbreaks. <laughs> I've been worried about you. That was north of here. We're fine. That was north of here. Okay, good. Right. Glad to hear that. Thanks, folks. We'll be back in a moment. And thanks again to our guests. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.